continuing our Into the Dark series. And uh, who loves Christmas, by the way? I love Christmas. It's the best. Like, who was it that said earlier, is it too early to sing, no, to say Merry Christmas? I'm saying in October. I love Christmas. All right. Mark Cuban. Who's here has heard of Mark Cuban? Uh, Mark Cuban is a very wealthy businessman. Uh, he's the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, a NBA team. Uh, and he is a very profitable uh, uh, businessman who has a great mind for business. And uh, you may have actually seen him on a TV show called Shark Tank. He's one of the sharks. Um, and his first business ever was a business called Micro Solutions. And when he was a young uh, 20-something-year-old guy with his first business, someone approached him to buy his business and he sold it for $6 million. When he sold it, his friends all came to him and said, what are you going to buy? Are you going to buy a new car? And he's like, nah, cars aren't my thing. Are you going to buy a house, a bigger house? And he goes, nah, the house I've got is fine. I don't need another house. Um, So what are you going to buy? And he decided that the thing that he would love the most is a ticket. He wanted a ticket for American Airlines to go wherever he wanted, first class, for the rest of his life. He wanted to buy a ticket. So he went to American Airlines, or he rang them, and he said, do you sell tickets for lifetime? Can I buy a ticket to go wherever I want as many times as I like? And they said, well, actually, we do, yeah. I'll put you through to our sales department. So he got put through to the sales department, and he bought a ticket for him to go anywhere he wants, whenever he wants, for the rest of his life, first class. Have a guess how much he paid for that ticket. $125,000. Now, you might be sitting here going, wow, $125,000. But if you're probably like the majority of the people in the room, you're like, only $125,000 to go anywhere you want for the rest of your life, first class. That is a ridiculously low price. And I don't know about you, but if I had bought that ticket for such a low price, I would be wondering every time I went to American Airlines to to punch my ticket and to to have a boarding pass, that that would be the day they would say, hey, you actually ripped us off. This is a bad deal. We're reneging on the deal. Or because of inflation, eventually American Airlines might say, hey, you know what, you bought it for the price back then, but we're actually going to have to charge you more because... That deal, it kind of ran out. Like, you paid too little for it. And the reason we ask these kinds of questions is because we've been taught from a very young age that if something sounds too good to be true, it usually is. Right? Who's heard that before? If it sounds too good to be true, it usually is. So why am I sharing that on December 10 leading into Christmas? Because we have an amazing gift, as the kids have just beautifully shown us, of Jesus We have the gift, the best gift in all of human history. God gave us this beautiful baby, his son, who would grow up to die for our sins, to bring us into relationship with him. And the part of our world that says, if something sounds too good to be true, it usually is, tells us that sooner or later, this good gift might run out. Because it sounds too good to be true, that all my sins can be forgiven, All my pain, all my brokenness, all my enmity with God, everything that I've done against God can be forgiven in an instant and I don't have to pay a cent? Man, we got a good deal. And it sounds too good to be true, right? And you might be going, no, no, I don't believe. Theologically, I do know it's not too good to be true. God said it. But do we live that way? Because sometimes we treat this baby in a manger like he's too good to be true. Let me explain. 
I was at um, camp in last week, and I was sitting with a bunch of our awesome young people, and we're having conversations about sin and forgiveness, and I started seeing comments like this. When I make a mistake, I need to go back to God to get forgiveness again. When I feel broken, I need to go back to God to get forgiveness again. When I struggle with my faith, I need to go back to God to get forgiveness again. Because every time I'm falling short, every time I stuff up, every time I make a mistake, my repentance surely has to have run out. Surely it gets to the point like that ticket where someone's going to say to me, hey, you know what? You've used your quota. You've sinned too much. Now it has run out. We imagine God sitting there going, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to rip up your ticket. You've gone too far. Or God's there with the Lamb's Book of Life with a pencil and an eraser on the other side. And he's like, oh, you're in. Oh, you're out. Oh, you're in. Oh, you're out. Based on what we do with our daily world, because the reality is, is that when we come to Jesus, we're still going to make mistakes. We're still going to fall short. We're trying to be like him, but we're not him. That day will come where we are perfect. And that is the day we stop breathing and we see him face to face. But until then... We're going to fall short. And if we have this view of God that he's sitting there ready to rub our name out of the book of life, then what we've done is we say that my forgiveness is totally dependent on what I can and cannot do, and that is the opposite of the gospel. If you're in that space, I've got some encouragement. Now, don't get me wrong. I think it's awesome that we come to God when we fall short, when we're broken, when we make a mistake. It's awesome to come to God. God, I'm sorry. Help me to be more like you. Help me to want what you want. That's beautiful and we should do that. But in that space, we're not fighting for our forgiveness again. Let me encourage you. In Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews paints these two beautiful, well, one's kind of an interesting picture, one's beautiful. In Hebrews 10, right? And the writer of the Hebrews says this. I'm going to look this way because my eyes are getting old. The, the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, and they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshippers would have been purified once for all time. And their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And he goes on in verse uh, 11 to say, Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. Sins. Now, the writer of the Hebrews is assuming that everybody has a basic understanding of Old Testament or Jewish tradition. And what he's talking about here is Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, which essentially is an annual subscription to forgiveness. What would happen is that the the people would sin throughout the year and they'd come together and the priest would kill an animal, typically a lamb, but it could have been something else. But he would check for blemish first, make sure it was perfect. If it was perfect, they would kill it and that would cover the sins of the people for that year. And this had to be done year after year after year. And all it did was serve as a reminder to people that they are broken and they are sinners and they are enemies of God. 
Jonathan Sachs says, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is, a ho- is the holy of holies of Jewish tradition. It is the rarest of phenomena, a Jewish festival without food. Instead, it's a day of fasting and prayer, introspection and self-judgment when collectively and repeatedly we confess our sins and pray to be written in God's book of life. Do you see the tone here? The tone here is that it's introspection. It's trying to figure it out for yourself. And then when we do it, we come to God. like, God, we hope that you'll do this for us. We are going to pray over and over that we'll be forgiven um, this time. And it's, it's very hopeful, but it's also there's no assurance in it. That's the first picture. This is what sin forgiveness used to look like. And then it all changes. And the writer of Hebrews then shifts and starts talking about the forgiveness that is a lifetime guarantee. He says, But our high priest, that is Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins. Good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. He continues in verse 17. Then he says, I will never again remember the sins and lawless deeds. This is not an annual subscription. This is a lifetime guarantee. And I wish someone had preached this to me when I was younger. I really do. Because there's so many times I would make a mistake and I'd go to God saying, God, I've lost my salvation. Please forgive me again. Because I made one mistake. And I know it sounds too good to be true. But because of Jesus, our past and our future are covered for all time. Whatever we've done, blotted out because of the blood and sacrifice of Jesus. Whatever we will struggle with, accounted for by a God who sits outside of time. He knows what we've done and he knows what we're going to do. And that is all accounted for in one action on the cross. For all time. There is a caveat, obviously. And this is where we go, it sounds too good to be true. Oh, here's the, here's the catch. The catch is this is not a get out of jail free card. Well, it kind of is, but not in the way you're thinking. This is not, I can do whatever I want because of grace. I can keep sinning. I can keep doing whatever I want because Jesus' blood covers me for all time. This is all about repentance. Repentance is a desire to not do what we used to do to not be the person we used to be, to turn around and go in the other direction. And if we're going towards to sin and enemies of God and we turn around and we go, God, I want to be like you, I want what you want, I love you, and I want you to be the Lord of my life, on that journey we're still going to make mistakes. But we're on that trajectory for all time. How much different would your life look, would your faith, your personal devotion time look, knowing Deep in your heart, knowing, knowing, knowing. There's nothing you can do that'll make God say, I've had enough of you. For all time, you are forgiven. The writer in Hebrews finishes on this. He says, and when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. 
No need to offer any more sacrifices. If you're here today and you've not experienced the forgiveness of God, you can. Today, you can have forgiveness of your sins. You can be in right relationship with God in heaven. You know, that guy was talking about the Holy of Holies being this, this tradition, this thing that you do with your hands. But the Holy of Holies is where God resides. And because of what Jesus did, we have access to that. We can have access to God in heaven right now. You're not just saved from something, you're saved for something. Relationship with a God in heaven who loves you like no one else. Because he wants you forever and ever and ever. If you have experienced forgiveness, but you've made mistakes, you've fallen short, you've gone back into your old ways, you've exhibited the old you, go to him for help, guidance, for peace, closeness, for reassurance that you are still forgiven. Your lifetime guarantee has not run out because we know that God keeps his promises. Don't retreat into the darkness that you've been saved from. You don't live there anymore. Light has come to the dark. I'm just going to summarize this for you in a really pithy statement. And it is just the words from Hebrews. This is the crux of what I'm trying to communicate today. There is no need to offer any more sacrifices. You have been forever made perfect. Good for all time. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, let our prayer be this today, that we would know we are forgiven. We would know that our sins have been blotted out. Lord, that we would know that our relationship is in you and we can have direct community with you right now because of what Jesus has done. This Christmas, God, as we look at this baby in a manger, let us remember who he is. He is a pathway to you. He is our saviour. He is our God. He is our king. And we worship you. In your name we pray. Amen.